can you really eat carbs? I see a lot of chatter about carbohydrate in my Facebook group. Some people think carbs are bad and they try to never eat them. Others fear carbs and still others love carbs, especially the less healthy ones. Are you confused? You don't know what to believe about carbs? Every friend tells you something different, right? And to make it more confusing, some post-surgery medical teams advise very little carbohydrate in the diet, while others caution their patients not to cut carbs too low. Well, this idea that carbs are bad for you is flat out wrong diet information, and it can lead you to unhealthy eating. Let's get the carb facts that you need. Don't go anywhere. Get ready for the holidays and new year. ProCare has a new multivitamin soft chew that comes with three delicious fruit flavors. With flexible dosing, you can accommodate your whole family's vitamin needs, and it even includes iron. Paired with calcium chews and our new protein powder. Visit ProCareNow.com and use code SUSAN10 to save 10%. Hi, I'm registered dietitian nutritionist Dr. Susan Mitchell, ex-radio dietitian turned podcaster. You're listening to the Bariatric Surgery Success Podcast, episode number 127. Today, let's cut through all the health hype. Let's get to the accurate nutrition information that you want. Simple strategies that you can use in your daily life. I want you to feel well every day. Get out there. Do all the things on that bucket list. That's why I do the podcast for you. You're in the right place. I'm so glad you're listening. Are you receiving the weekly newsletter, Breaking Down Nutrition? You'll be the first to know about product specials, helpful tips, the latest podcast, upcoming interviews, just like today with Isabel and Gail. Sign up on my website, BreakingDownNutrition.com. But joining me are your expert bariatric dietitians, Isabel and Gail, who in their clinical practices have their fingers on the pulse of the most up-to-date information. Isabel Maples is a bariatric coordinator at UVA Health in Haymarket, Virginia. Gail Smith is the bariatric dietitian at the Weight Loss and Bariatric Surgery Institute in Orlando, Florida. You can find both Isabel's and Gail's contact information in the show note. Hello. Hey, Susan. Well, you know, carbohydrate, it's the macro that we love to hate. Every friend tells you something. Right? (laughs) Every friend tells you something different about carbs. And then to add to that confusion, you have medical teams advising you to eat very little while others say don't cut the carbs too low. It's yikes. What are you supposed to believe? And this idea that carbs are bad is just flat out wrong information. And then it can lead to unhealthy eating. So today, let's cut through all this confusion about carbohydrate. Let's do some myth busting and get the facts. So should you be fearful about carbohydrate after surgery? Or does your body really need it? Okay, Gail, myth bust for us. Is it true that a carb is a carb is a carb and that you don't really need it? No, Susan. Carbs are not all the same. But carbs are not evil. In fact, they taste pretty good, don't they? Yes, they do. (laughs) (laughs) And, And carbohydrates are one of the three essential macros, macronutrients, that fuel our bodies. The other two are protein and fat, but our focus today is on carbs. And during that digestion process, carbohydrates are broken down into simple sugars, 
called glucose, which supplies energy. Glucose is the per, per is the preferred energy source for the brain. A lot of times when bariatric patients come to my office and say, my brain feels foggy, the very first question I ask them is, what are you eating? And I often find that their carbohydrate level is very low, even too low. And you know, that's super interesting because I don't think most people make the connection that carbs and glucose fuel the brain. So I think that's a very interesting statement that you look at that, you see that brain fog in your practice. Oh yeah. And I even feel it myself sometimes when I'm getting kind of low on my carb intake. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) So we want to focus on what we call smart carbs, which are high in fiber, low in sugar. And some of the common sources of naturally occurring carbohydrates include your fruits, your vegetables, your milk, your nuts, your grains, your seeds, your beans, peas, and lentils. You know, it's interesting hearing all those sources because we'll talk more about how these sources, yes, are carbs, but some of them also have protein. So most foods are combinations of the macros. And and sometimes people aren't aware of that. It's interesting that with all these fears and confusion surrounding carbs, that most people in the US and the UK and Australia still eat way more carbs than we need for our weight. And after bariatric surgery, the bottom line is what type of carbs, and you just said smart carbs, which we'll talk more about, and then How much of these do you eat? So, Isabel, do you agree with that? So, Susan, yes, I do. Uh, The dietary guidelines say that, yes, we do eat too much carbohydrates, but at the same time, we're not eating the ones we should. So we'll talk about smart carbs in a minute. I want to tell you two things. I want to talk about where, you know, what are carbohydrates? What are the different types of carbohydrates? And then I want to talk about what Gail was talking about is how carbohydrates fuel our bodies and our brains. So first, carbohydrates come from sugar, from starch. Well, excuse me. Carbohydrates are sugar, starch, and fiber. Sugar is the carbohydrate that's broken down into small pieces. Like, for instance, if you were making carbohydrates out of Legos, the sugar would be maybe just one or two of those Legos put together. But there's added sugar also, and then there's natural sugar that's naturally in the food that we eat, like fruits and vegetables, milk, the yogurt, the the things that Gail just mentioned. And there's a difference between added sugar and the sugar that's already in the food, because naturally occurring sugars actually come with vitamins and minerals and sometimes fiber when you eat those foods. And added sugar can be found in many foods, like cookies and candy and sweetened drinks. Next is starch. Well, what are starch? Starches are complex carbohydrate. If you were thinking about it like a Lego creation, it would be a whole bunch of these pieces of Legos, maybe different colors, different sizes, all put together. So starches occur naturally in vegetables, grains, dried beans, peas, lentils, and then there's fiber. Fiber is also a complex carbohydrate like starch, but it actually doesn't even get digested. It, um, it does occur naturally in fruits and vegetables, whole grains, cooked beans and peas. It's all plant foods that it, that it might occur in, never in animal foods. And technically we can live without any fiber in our diets, but our overall health 
is going to benefit from fiber in the diet. Absolutely. You're going to be one miserable person when it comes to constipation <laughs> no, if you don't yeah. have fiber in your yeah, diet. You're not doubt. only going to, you're going to hate the three of us too, because you're going to go, what? You know, because yeah. fiber, it, fiber is such a big part of um, helping you feel full, but it's also a huge part in keeping you from getting constipated. So definitely. And there's some real absolutely. health benefits. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Just don't want you to think you can't live without that fiber because it's <laughs> right. so, so You're important. not going to live well, but you can live. <laughs> not well. You're not going to live well. That is for sure. Absolutely. All right. So let me go back to what we were also talking about. Susan, you were talking about the carbs and yes, often people think of carbs as making them fat. This is my problem, but it's actually not the carbs. It's the excess of carbohydrates or calories from any source, including protein and fat that are then stored as extra fat. And Gail talked about carbohydrates fueling our bodies and our brains during digestion. Food is broken down into simple pieces and then reabsorbed are absorbed and then rebuilt into usable fuel. Well, one of those fuels is the glucose, what we often call blood sugar. It's the primary energy source really for every cell in our body. But the brain, because it's so rich in nerve cells, is the most energy demanding organ of all. And it can actually use half of the sugar energy in the body, according to the Harvard Medical School's Neuroscience Institute. And you know what most people don't realize is that that tiny little brain that maybe what makes up 2% of your body weight, but it's a hog when it comes to (laughs) taking in that, you know, the body's glucose and and without it, boy, oh boy, do you start to, to notice it and just uh, clear thinking, memory, all Mm -hmm. those kinds of things. Yeah. And thinking, memory and learning are all closely linked to glucose levels and how efficiently the brain uses that fuel. If there's not enough glucose for the brain to use, those neurotransmitters, which are the brain's chemical messengers, are not produced. And that means communication in the brain breaks down. And that means that you're going to find it hard to pay attention and hard to focus. So Absolutely. But when there's not enough carbohydrate in the body, then in our diets, our bodies will actually make its own carbohydrate by taking our muscle and breaking it down as taking that protein and breaking it down into glucose. It gets desperate and it breaks down our muscle. And and you know, I want to butt in right here because I think this is a critical point in post-bariatric surgery that we just don't want to miss because here you hear all the time, protein, 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 and exercise to build that muscle mass. Mm -hmm. But then if you cut your carbs too low, you're going to use what you've been eating or the muscle mass you've built to break down because you don't have the carbs. And that's just so important as to why it's not a solo macro, solo Mm -hmm. macro diet. I mean, it's not just a protein diet. You've got to have Have those things. Yeah, absolutely. I tell my patients, when you sit down to eat a meal or snack, I mean, get your protein in but then add vegetables and fruits and, you know, eventually some other high fiber, nutrient rich carbs that give you more nutrition in every bite, like the fruits and vegetables and starches and stuff that, that, uh, Gail was just talking about. Yeah. Agreed. So uh, Gail, I'm thinking about the term net carbs. Do you look at that? 
I get that question all the time. I don't really look at it that much, but it seems like patients want to cheat a little bit and get more carbs. So they use that term so that they can have more. And what it is basically is the amount of carbs in a product, excluding the fiber or excluding both the fiber and the alcohol, the sugar alcohols that are in it. And you know where I see this, or have you, and have you guys noticed it? It might be on different, um, food companies who sell bariatric yes. meals. I'll yes. notice that they tend to play up net carbs, uh, and, and whether that's a marketing thing or whether it's just showing that, hey, you can look at the net carbs minus the fiber and the sugar alcohols. But, you know, sugar, I, I, I that's where I'm seeing it. So I just don't want it to be confusing to people. And, and that's why I want you to explain what that means to them. And that's basically it. I mean, they don't have to go there and use that. They should just go with, you know, the total carbs. But if they yeah, want it's to, simpler. Yes, that's what I would suggest. And as far as sugar alcohols, I always tell my patients to kind of be careful with those because some patients do end up with you know, diarrhea from too much of those products. Alcohol. Yeah, and, and mm-hmm. you don't even have to be a bariatric patient. This no. is true for anybody. Exactly. Anybody. Anybody. <laughs> okay, so besides energy, carbs offer many other benefits to the body. So stay right where you are. In 15 seconds, we'll talk about these benefits. Do you want to give gifts packed with purpose this holiday season? Check out newhopegirls.com for beautiful bags that rescue girls and empower women. Use code TRANSFORM15 to save 15%. So, Gail, besides energy, these high-fiber, smart carbs, as we're calling them, offer up a, a serving or servings of a lot of health benefits. What are some of your favorites? Oh, yes. One of my favorites is, of course, the anti-inflammatory benefits, so you can... Uh, ward off infections, also lowered insulin resistance, which I'll explain in just a minute, a reduced risk of the chronic diseases, such as like gut disorders, cancer, and diabetes. Now, insulin resistance means that your body is unable to respond to the amount of the hormone insulin that it is producing from your organ, the pancreas. Your cells in your body stop responding to the insulin, and which is harmful to your health because it causes your blood sugar to rise in your blood. And foods that can cause insulin resistance, surprise, surprise, are like sodas, refined sugars, juices, grains, and ultra-processed snack foods like candy, cookies, cakes, and chips. And I think right there, when you say grains, you're talking about highly processed grains versus some of the high fiber ones we'll talk about in a few minutes, right? Exactly. Yes. So conversely, foods that reduce this insulin resistance are foods like your high fiber, smart carbs, Susan, like your whole fruits and your veggies. Now, researchers have attributed many of these benefits to the dietary fiber content of complex carbs. For instance, dietary fiber in a whole fruit helps you with long-term weight management 
and like we've been talking, supports the regular (laughs) bowel movements. Absolutely. So you're just seeing more and more benefits to fiber all the way around. All the way around. Absolutely. So Isabel, so much misinformation on Dr. Google about carbs, particularly sugar and other sweeteners such as honey, maple syrup, but the body doesn't see it that way. Explain. Yeah. Added sugars like, excuse me, honey, maple syrup, agave, sugar in the raw, coconut sugar. They may sound more natural, better for you, but the reality is the body uses those just like white refined table sugar. Too much added sugar, for instance, can cause dumping syndrome. And I caution my patients to limit added sugar from any source to less than five grams per meal. That's about a teaspoon or less of sugar per meal. Check the nutrition facts label on your packaging to see how much added sugar a food may have. So in your experience, Isabel, what do you see? Because people are going to go, ooh, five grams, that's a tiny amount. Will I ever tolerate more? Will I ever be able to have, you know, portions of small portions of desserts or small portions of my favorite things? Do you see that change with time? And if so, to, I know it's going to, this always varies Mm -hmm. patient to patient. So let's say that right out. There's no just pat answer. But do you see that change over time? I do, Susan, for a couple of reasons. One, I think the digestive system is more sensitive right after surgery. And that teaspoon of sugar in a meal is a big chunk of the calories when your calories are really low, like 400 calories maybe at a time. I mean, in a day. But as you are able to eat more normally, get back to, you know, increase the number of calories, get back towards a more normal amount of calories I find that people can tolerate more added sugar, especially if it's not separate from meals and snacks. If it's mixed with other carbohydrates and protein and fiber and, um, and fat so that it's, it, it, it's not digested quite as fast or the effect isn't as quick. So I find that maybe a teaspoon is the most you could tolerate after a while, but maybe two or three teaspoons a little bit later, maybe even more. So eventually, I mean, I have a lot of patients that'll say, hey, Isabel, I do fine. I mean, I'm getting, I'll have a slice of birthday cake, but I'm satisfied at the end of my meal with two bites and I'm good. Yeah, and, I love and, that. And that, I do that fine. That satisfies them. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I love that. I would say some people might be going, what was that word? She just said dumping syndrome. Why don't you explain what early dumping syndrome is? Okay. Yes, because there is two parts of dumping syndrome. So dumping syndrome is, to me, digestive discomfort, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. It's caused when food moves through the stomach into the small intestines too quickly. And sugar is a big culprit for that. Let me explain what that digestive process is by first reminding reminding, reminding listeners that the stomach has a valve at the top of it and at the bottom of it. And that's so the stomach can turn and churn and move around to help keep food in there while the food is being broken down into smaller pieces. The valve at the bottom of the stomach is designed to open periodically, I think of it like a trap door, to gradually let more of those digested food into the small intestines. It's not all at once, it's just gradual as the food gets more digested. 
And then the undigested food can stay in the stomach longer to keep getting digested. So I visualize this process like this. This normal emptying of the stomach, I think of it like shoveling sand. It's a gradual process. I'm just shoveling one shovel full at a time from the mm-hmm. stomach into the small intestine. Contrast That's a good that. way to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. But with the dumping syndrome, the food is going to move very quickly as it empties all at once from the stomach into the small intestines. I think of this like a big dump truck full of sand just came and dumped the whole load, the whole sand pile out all at one time. And it can be scary. Really scary. Oh, yes. I tell Mm -hmm. my patients, it's not life-threatening, but it might feel like you're dying. So And they they remember that. They try not to do it again. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So when sugar, which is one of the triggers for this dumping syndrome, what happens is in the digestive system, the body likes things to kind of be evened out in concentration. So they'll actually... It'll actually add water, rush water into the small intestines in an effort to dilute out that concentration of sugar. And that, and because the more food has been dumped into the small intestines than normal too. And so that means the walls of the small intestine have been stretched and that can trigger the body to actually drop blood pressure, for instance, change hormones. And that process actually is even more common in the gastric bypass because remember, with the gastric bypass, there's no longer that lower valve to control the movement of food from the stomach into the small intestines. So early symptoms, uh, uh, early dumping syndrome symptoms show up usually within 45 minutes of eating. And they might be things like feeling weak or faint, sweating, flushing of the skin, um, your rapid heartbeat, dizzy, you might be feel short of breath, you might be having vomiting, diarrhea, or cramps. And definitely, nobody wants that. That doesn't feel good. But lying down can help dissipate, you know, slows the symptoms and might make them feel a little bit less intense. And, you know, gives you a little time to think about like what make the connection between was it something I ate? What was this that triggered this reaction? How can I avoid it next time? Yeah. Absolutely. So that's early dumping. But Gail, there's also late dumping syndrome and there is a difference. So tell us about that. Yes. Late dumping is really kind of bad too. And it occurs about two to three hours after eating. And it is caused by that excess insulin produced in response to that rapid entry of food and fluids into the small intestines. So the high insulin levels will lower your blood sugar or your blood glucose level, but they cause symptoms too, They, which include that perspiration, you're, you're kind of shaky, you feel like hungry, you're, you're kind of ang- have some anxiety, it's almost difficult to concentrate and you're kind of tired and even kind of faint. And again, just like with the early dumping, lying down is probably the best thing you can do. So Gail, uh, uh, is there a difference? So, you know, in early dumping, you don't tend to counteract it with any type of food. It's more just lying down and letting it pass. But in this case yeah. where, you know, uh, uh, you can, your blood sugar level or blood glucose level really drop, start, start to perspire, maybe even faint. What yeah. do you suggest you do in this case? 
Well, there is some uh, research that says putting a teaspoon of honey in your mouth and holding it there can help you absorb some of the sugar through the lining of your mouth to counterbalance that low blood sugar that you're feeling without it getting down into your lower intestines and starting that vicious cycle problem all over again. Yeah, because that's what it's going to say. You don't yeah. want it to no. just keep, okay, <laughs> have sugar produce insulin and you just kind of get in this vicious cycle. So you're just saying holding it in your mouth. Do they mm-hmm. actually, do you want it swallowed at some time or just holding in your mouth and then spitting out? I think you're right, Susan. I think just kind of holding it in your mouth a little bit, let some of it get absorbed and then kind of spitting it out. Okay. So absorbing, basically, as you were saying, through the lining of the mouth, the tissue. Okay. And over time, most people's body do get used to the change in the setup of their system. And that dumping should be limited to just like the first year after surgery. But that is not true for everybody, especially if some people have diabetes, right? Absolutely. There is a dumping syndrome fact sheet, right, Susan, on the Obesity Action Coalition website. And Correct. And, and I'll try to remember to put that in the show notes as well so that people that you can link to that if you have, you know, an interest in learning more. Uh, plus, you can go back to the podcast episode number 32, and it talks about four ways to prevent dumping syndrome. So I'll put that in the show notes as well. Okay, Isabel, let's get specific. Is there a range or recommendation? recommendation for the grams of carbs one needs needs each day after surgery? And number two, does that vary with how far out from surgery you are? It does vary with how far out from surgery you are. And part of the reason is because your calories are smaller at the beginning and they they increase as you get further away from surgery. And finally settle in, a lot of people settle into 1,200 to 1,800 calories maybe. Um, Again, very individualized. So maybe aim for about 50 grams of carbohydrate when you're a month out. And maybe when you're further out, you do 130 grams of carbohydrates. That's a good ballpark to kind of start. But then keep in mind, how does that work with your body? Are you fueling running and, you know, weightlifting so that you've really got a more active lifestyle than you've ever had? And do you need more more carbohydrates because you need more calories to, to manage that. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that because in our Facebook group, we've had our this discussion a lot where people have said, you know what, I'm lifting heavy now, which I've never done in my life. And I'm, you know, walking, riding my bike, doing whatever it is that they're doing. And I'm hungry. And am I supposed to eat more carbs? I thought I was supposed to limit. And I think this is where you have to understand that every single person, you are all unique what you do and the way you live determines that. So yes, more carbs are okay when that is your lifestyle. You don't have to have that guilt about that. Exactly. You have to find what works mm-hmm. for you. And as bariatric dietitians, we talk a lot about protein, 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 in part to preserve that muscle mass during that rapid weight loss process. And then for satiety, so you don't, you know, you can increase the fullness later when you're trying to maintain. But maybe we don't talk enough about the benefits of carbohydrate. And really, the bariatric diet is designed to be about 40% of your carbohydrates, uh, calories from carbohydrates. Whoa, ho, wait just a minute. I I want you to, (laughs) 
after people pick up and go, wait a minute, I just passed out on the floor when she said that. What? Repeat what you just said, because I think this is a very misunderstood the fact. bariatric diet exactly. is designed to be 40% of calories from carbohydrates. So it's not just about protein. It really is 40% protein, 40% carbohydrates, 20% fat. It's definitely not a keto diet. And a lot of people think it might be, you know, but it's not. Yeah. Yes, no, it's, it's not. not. It's not a keto diet. I tell them uh, that on day agreed, one. Agreed, agreed. It's not intermittent fasting. <laughs> that means adding not more nutrient-rich <laughs> carbohydrate foods at each meal. We edit snacks. And obviously at the beginning, you know, you're barely able to just get your protein in. But as you're able to, you can start start adding vegetables, for instance. Then you start adding a little more fruit and and, uh, and other carbohydrates, especially ones that give you more nutrients in every bite, including fiber. And you can with that, you can still meet your protein need, uh, you know, needs that we're pushing you to do, but also balance it with some other really good tasting foods. A regular size serving, not a bariatric serving, but a regular size serving of fruit, like one apple, half a banana, or some starchy vegetables, like a half a cup of sweet potato, brown rice, shredded wheat cereal, you know, that you are going to eventually get to as you get further away from surgery. Um, but that gives you about 15 or 20 grams of carbohydrates. And so as you're, you know, including that numerous times today, Again, I caution my patients to limit added sugar to less than five grams a meal, uh, you know, but, but other than that, they are using carbohydrates throughout the day. Okay, so quickly before we wrap up, let's share some of our favorite smart carbs and why. Uh, I love ancient grains, and you might be going, what's an ancient grain? I feel ancient today. <laughs> you know, the, the whole grain council defines ancient grains as typically unchanged over the last several hundred years and largely intact, if you will, as compared to grains today that have been crossbred more recently. So modern wheat, which is bread, would not be considered an ancient grain. Why older ones that you might think of spelt buckwheat, pharaoh, sorghum, amaranth, teff, millet, even quinoa would all be considered ancient grains. And all of these, ancient or not, if they're whole grains, they contain the germ, the bran, and the endosperm, which is really, why do I say that? That's where your nutrition comes from. It's where your fiber comes from. So whole grains, ancient or not, can vary in their nutrition profile and their prop, you know, their properties, meaning what they give to the body and taste from, say, being kind of meaty tasting to nutty, even a little sweet. Like I think about quinoa, actually, it's uh, related to the beet family. So it's more a pseudo grain, but it's higher protein to carb ratio. So that makes it really nice. And these whole grains add a lot more fiber to the diet, which we've just said, no constipation do we want. And it helps with weight regain. So I love people to try buckwheat or try farro and experiment with some new flavors in these whole grain, ancient grains. What about you guys, Gail? Oh, yeah, I agree. The quinoa is an excellent one. And it's since it's higher in protein, the bariatric stomach likes it so much mm -hmm. better than rice. I mean, it's a, a great product. 
And for me, one of my favorites that I use almost every day is yogurts. And I like the Activia brand because I like that it has probiotics in it. And what I do is I get the little ones with cherries or pieces of uh, peaches in them. And they're just little four or five ounces. And I throw them in the freezer for just 30 minutes. And then on my way into work, I grab it. And either I eat it on the way as I stop or if I'm on the train or once I get to work. And it's and are just you so using tasty. a Greek yogurt you get, for higher protein when you are choosing? You, Yes, the Greek ones are higher in protein, so you can choose those as well. There's all kinds of brands out there. But sometimes I hear patients, they don't like the tartness of Greek. They don't like the too sweetness of the non-Greek or whatever. So I found that the activity just has the right combination. And I like those, but any of them do. And put your own fruit in there. You can do the vanilla yogurt or the plain yogurt and add your own fruit too. Just watch the amount of, you know, grams of sugar. But also I like zucchini pasta. I'll just make my own spiralized zucchini and I'll put like some sort of added protein, whether that's shrimp or a ground chicken, ground turkey made into a nice marinara sauce or just the shrimp with the marinara sauce on top of the zucchini or maybe some carrots or some other veggies in there too. And Isabel? Well, I'm going to pick dried beans and peas. And I'll tell you, I grew up with a dad who loved beans, loved beans. We used to groan, but I ate beans probably every day of my life growing up. Seriously. <laughs> no constipation oh on your end, huh? <laughs> Eventually, oh, yeah. I mean, we liked them too, and they're very filling and satisfied. They give you a combination of protein and carbohydrate. Lots of fiber, no doubt about that. And of course, as a registered dietitian now, I know that beans are loaded with nutrition and they're an easy choice. They're quick and easy when you come to throwing together meals, especially if you use canned beans. And they include more of the nutrients that Americans are most likely not to get, at, get like fiber, potassium, magnesium. You can do yeah. black beans in a salad, yeah. pentos with tacos, Ooh, I love black beans. maybe kidney beans in a chili, mm-hmm. though cannellini white nice. beans with greens, uh, maybe a navy bean Those soup. Are good. There are a lot of different ways to use beans, peas, and and even lentils. Um, they're cheap. And Certainly, if you make a bag of them and soak yep. them, they're really cheap. But even the canned beans are cheap, and you can rinse them to get rid of a lot of the salt. And you, it also degasses them. Um, and speaking of gas, that's one of the th- jokes that you always hear about beans and gas. Yep. But that intestinal gas that's produced <laughs> when you're digesting beans will actually decrease over two or three, four weeks if you just keep eating them. Um, maybe add just a yeah. little bit at once and kind of build up to it. Your body will. Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah, <laughs> it'll adjust. Build up. It'll adjust to (laughs) that higher fiber. Anytime Mm -hmm. you increase fiber, increase your water to adjust it. And if you really needed to, to adjust for the gas, you can use Beano. It's a food enzyme that comes in bean and drops or tablets to help be taken before meal. And it actually converts that gas producing carbohydrates into more digestible ones. So there's less gas. 
Now, there's also Cymethicone. One of the brand names is Gas-X, and it can relieve those gas symptoms, but it doesn't actually prevent gas from forming, but it actually breaks up the pockets, like large bubbles and large pockets of, of bubbles of gas in the intestines so that it can cause less discomfort because it can pass more easily. Right, and I'm glad you shared that because... What I don't want to happen is for, for your, someone to have such bad gas pains that they think, no yeah. way am I doing that again. So just by what Beans. you're saying, yeah. that start yes. small, small portions, gradually build up, use a Beano or a Gas-X if you have to, because the body does adapt. That's the beauty of it. Well, thank you as always. Your time, your willingness to take a deep dive into all these various topics, your information is so helpful. Thank you. I love being here. Yeah. So remember, carbohydrates, I want you to go away today thinking, I can have carbs. Yes, you can. They're not evil. The bottom line is, when do you add them in? And as you heard Isabel say, slowly. And as Gail said, you don't want to have dumping syndrome. So little by little, over time in your journey, you'll be able to increase the amount of smart carbs, those healthy, low sugar, high fiber carbs that you eat. Because remember, you are worth it. Bariatric Surgery Success with Dietitian Dr. Susan Mitchell is produced and owned by Practicalories, LLC. All rights reserved. Remember, the content provided on this podcast is for information purposes only and doesn't create a patient-provider relationship. It's intended to provide reference material and is not designed to provide medical advice. Please consult your healthcare provider regarding any medical issues you have relating to symptoms, conditions, diseases, diagnosis, treatments, and side effects. Podcast guests express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions, which do not necessarily reflect or agree with the host, Dr. Susan Mitchell, or Practicalories, LLC.